0: This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network.
1: You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious.
2: Hello. And welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your host, Swara Saleh. And today we get political. We're going to be talking about the new character in the Star Wars canon, DJ, seen first in The Last Jedi, and some libertarian undertones to his character that got picked up on after people saw that movie. We're going to talk about that in both a good and a bad light today. Very excited to be doing that with our special guest joining us again for I think the third or fourth time, returning guest Brittany Hunter from the Foundation for Economic Education also known as Fee. Brittany, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for coming Uh, back on. Anytime. Super nice to have you here. Um, Brittany, you've kind of come on to be a resident expert on a variety of issues (laughs) that we have needed a resident expert on. So thank you for coming back. Um, We've changed up our show format a little bit. I think folks have been really interested in getting a little bit more political commentary. So we're going to start off with a little bit of news of the day before we go into talking about DJ and The Last Jedi Guys, did you watch this Facebook testimony on the Hill today? It was just, it was, it was, oh, I wanted to put my head through a wall. Um, Yeah. What were y'all's thoughts on this? Because I just was sitting there wishing that, Um, aides to these senators and House members were the ones asking the questions and not the actual members themselves. They just seemed unqualified with the exception of maybe Kennedy and Sass.
0: I mean, it was just really bizarre. They didn't really seem to know how the internet works. We were watching this in my office, actually. You know, A lot of what we do, and we're talking a lot about cybersecurity and how cities should be dealing with that. Watching it was just it was uncomfortable. It was extremely shallow. And I have to say about Mark Zuckerberg himself, he looked extremely uncomfortable being there. I was sort of making a joke throughout the day, and I didn't mean to sound mean, but it, this is literally what I think. He looked like a robot who was forced to interact with humans for the first time. I kind, of, <laughs> I kind of felt sorry for him in that regard because he's not used to being in a tie and talking to these old senators and just having to explain something about his product that he never thought Thought it would be used for to influence politics on such a large scale. I personally think that he should have had that foresight, but still he's mostly a tech guy, not a political and socio guy. So yeah, it was just really bizarre and I think they barely scratched the surface of the magnitude of issues Facebook and social media have to deal with.
2: One of my favorite faces or tweets about Mark Zuckerberg was Mark Zuckerberg's resting expression uh, is the face that you make when your granddad asks you to download the Wi-Fi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of the theme of the whole thing, though, right? Like, how do I internet? Because we found out how little our representatives know about not even just Facebook, but the Internet. Right. For me, I,
2: this must have spoken, I think, to some of your your internal biases, and sort of been a little bit of a confirmation for you and, and for me as well about just sort of how little. Uh, these people know about the things that they want to sort of get their hands into. W- what were you thinking while you were watching this, just from like a policy standpoint?
1: My biggest fear was here are people who want to eventually regulate uh, cryptocurrency because that's a big issue for me and and the you know blockchain space and they don't even they don't even know how advertisement works online. It was it was laughable, mm. but it was also terrifying at the same yes, time. Absolutely. Facebook is
2: selling your data, Brittany. They're selling it. They're actually like, you know, just giving it to someone, taking $5 in exchange. That's their business model.
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, we're Uh, in trouble.
2: (laughs) Your uh, your old representative, Orrin Hatch, must have made you real proud.
1: Oh, that was that was something else. <laughs> my favorite was yeah, he asked, How could how can you offer this for free? And Zuckerberg looked almost shocked. He said, Senator online ads. Like it was, yeah. uh, it was pretty humorous. They
0: they don't know how the internet works. They don't know how Google makes money. They use these services every day, or their staffers and interns use them every day. But some of them think that, oh, why don't we pay for this? They
2: they don't understand how the internet works. It's it's insane. Yeah, yeah. So Paul Ryan is leaving Congress. Um, He is, uh, he's going to be taking an absence. Uh, He's going to finish out here in eight months, and then he's not running for reelection. This is, so it's to be expected, right? Like everybody kind of saw this coming from both sides. There was a lot of rumors going on in the Hill for the past couple of months that this was something that was going to happen, but the timing was a little bit suspect and it, it sort of raised some eyebrows, particularly because you have, you know, Trump's like, lawyer getting his office raided. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really tightening up in terms of of the corruption um, case against the president. And then he kind of does this in the same day. And I found that timing to be surprising as well. This is kind of the end of an era, right? Like I think after Trump's first state of the union, it was the official death date of the Tea Party. And with Paul Ryan leaving, sort of the last bastion of any, anybody who's outwardly saying that there is a huge entitlement problem in the republican party um that was something that he wanted to make mainstream in his time in congress and now we have a president who believes the exact same or the exact opposite of that Mm. um it sort of seems like he's leaving at, at a real at a real low moment for his ideology and his his own career
1: I just assumed he's going to run for president. That, that was the first thought is I thought no. this was, oh, okay. He's, he's running for president.
2: I, I conceivably. Yeah. I could definitely see that. How do you go from like the most uh, unpopular job in the country to running for president? I just don't, I don't see how that's a jump that he can make.
1: Donald Trump is our president. <laughs> Anything is possible. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, but I mean we're talking about like a Speaker of the House. Like Speaker of the House running for president is 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 rare. That is, that's, that's true. That's, that's not a leap that you see often because again, like I, Congress although, is more important although, than anything in the country and you're the leader of Congress. Although I
0: think like what, what Brittany trying to say – I don't want to speak for you, Brittany, but still that – he's trying to salvage what he has left. And I think that the state of the Republican Party as it is right now – Even though the Republican Party is the majority, it is still plagued by problems and is still plagued by this pressure of the investigation into Trump and his corruption. And Paul Ryan right now, I think that he just doesn't really know how to manage all of these various constituent parts of his party. So while he's not going to be running necessarily for president 2020, at the very least, he wants to salvage what he has left. Maybe he'll do lobbying for a while. I think he's trying to play the long game.
2: This is this is right wing inside baseball, but uh, his his favorite think tank uh, is the American Enterprise <laughs> Institute, and their very famous really? and beloved president Arthur Brooks um, is leaving. And I I actually see Paul Ryan um, as a as a strong contender to move into being president of AEI. Mm-hmm. I, see, uh, I, I, I don't here. know.
1: I don't think he's um I don't mm-hmm. think he's free market enough, to be honest with you. Interesting. I mean, really he's, their, he's their
2: he's their poster boy. Is he? He's AEI's guy on ah, the- <laughs>
1: Okay. You know, and I think I'm confusing them with CEI who is oh, more, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the no, world, the world of
2: acronyms CEO. in DC. Is a- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> CEI is of a totally different, totally different mission. Yeah. Okay. But no, so I got to give a major shout out to Krishan Patel, um, who asked us on Twitter. He's a listener of the show. Um, he asked us for Star Wars parallels to Paul Ryan leaving Congress. Um, everyone can have an opportunity to give sort of their Star Wars parallel. I got to give mine. I'm sticking to it. None of y'all are going to like it, but I'm going with Luke on October. his life's. You be quiet. His life's work burned down to the ground by a privileged and petulant child, in this case a man child, who will now go into exile in his island of Wisconsin and wait appearance of his wise sage Arthur Brooks oh, in a vision goodness. to tell him that failure is the best teacher and then Arthur Brooks will burn down his sacred texts including oh Atlas Shrugged God. and get him back in the game and for getting back in the game he's gonna go to the think tank world that's my analogy and I'm sticking to it Patel
0: I mean I'll just say that Paul Ryan is no Luke Skywalker that's, I'm as that I'm gonna leave it at that <laughs>
1: I'm gonna second I'm or third no second that because I don't even I don't like Paul Ryan enough to grace him with the Star Wars. Brittany is not
2: establishment <laughs> enough. Brittany Britney, Britney is way too anarch. Brittany, you hear where I'm
0: speaking from. Uh,
2: you don't deserve Star Wars. Exactly.
0: So a political parallel for Paul or a Star Wars parallel for Paul Ryan. Hmm. You know what, Count Dooku. Count Dooku thought that he was going to be leading this (laughs) awesome new sort of resurgence of uh, politics in the galaxy or for Paul Ryan in the United States. But the sort of despot or the increasing despot in charge, Palpatine versus Trump, who's a very wannabe despot, who has no idea what he's doing, is mucking all of that up, is actually trying to seek, quote, a new, stronger apprentice (laughs) to make the galaxy great again or make the United States great, make America great again. And he just basically ends up with his head on a chalking, on a chopping block by uh, basically about to be cut off whoever the next Republican house leader is Mm -mm going to be. So yeah. Deep, deep cuts, deep Deep cuts. cuts, Yeah. No seriously count Duke who I think is almost a perfect parallel for Paul Ryan. So I'm going to stick to that. Brittany, I was gonna
2: say Jar Jar Binks yes. because you know no one likes them. Well, I'm sticking with Luke Skywalker on Octo Exile. Wait, wait, y'all. Exile. I, I just
0: gotta give a shout out to, because uh to John Lovett, whom we had on the show, he actually said the exact same thing that Paul Ryan is Jar Jar Binks. So it's so like so it's Jar Jar Binks for the win. Two versus R one each, steven Paul Ryan is Jar think, Jar.
2: I do think that I do think the unifying one, and, and this uh, one of our listeners said this is probably more Boehner than than Paul Ryan, but you know, there's always obviously Chancellor Valora. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is more appropriate for Boehner, who like really got run out of town, really on sort of like a vote of no confidence mm-hmm. type of situation by his caucus, where Paul Ryan is sort of. Uh, Taken a little bit more of a dignified road than Boehner leaving immediately, like he did.
0: But let's be real. Um, Jeb Valorum will always be the number one parallel.
2: Jeb? All right. So, <laughs> I mean, Paul Ryan, like he is sort of like the last bastion, Mm -hmm. like I was saying, of sort of a a certain brand uh, of conservatism. Um, One that I mentioned, his Atlas Shrugged on his bookshelf, Um, he's (laughs) been viewed and criticized as sort of like an Ayn Randian figure um, in the Republican Party, particularly when it comes to economics. And I think that sort of like gets us in the direction of what we were talking about, because a couple of weeks ago, I saw over at Den of Geek... um, a piece over there talking about author Mallory uh, Ordberg. She's, she was part of, um, from a certain point of view, and she actually mentioned um, Ayn Rand and sort of uh, a a way in which that, you know, she sort of thought about uh, Ayn Rand being part of Star Wars. And it was a a scene in the original uh, A New Hope where Darth Vader is choking out, uh, Mr. Sassy Imperial Officer Swar, can you help me on the name of that officer who he might have been? Oh, it's the one was who Captain is, Antilles wasn't it? No, no, the the Imperial officer who was giving him sass oh, around the conference table. Oh,
0: oh, around the yeah. oh shoot! Uh, I'm giving. I'm, was, I'm putting you
2: on the spot. It but, was you know. Yeah, you can't you can't frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Yeah, that guy. It so, was adm- Darth It was
0: Admiral Moti.
2: Okay, so Darth Vader proceeds to choke him out, uh, and then... Ordberg had actually said on a panel uh, that she sort of mentioned that this reminded her of Ayn Rand's Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, and the quote, the gun is not an argument, sort of referring to like the idea that Darth Vader is not right just because he can choke you out. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, in a lot of ways, that these people who surround this table in the Imperial Conference Room, like they're right. And they sort of see something and acknowledge something pragmatic that Vader doesn't, but he just sort of uses force to overwhelm them. And therefore, or he's just the victor
0: yeah it's like basically the power of vader's belief no matter how strong it is does not necessarily compute with the imperial system at large in a way right
2: Brittany? i know you have thoughts about the gun is not an argument and the use of force to be right
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that's so poetic. It's a good way to put it. Uh, I think that's what we encounter every day. Look at things like like the war on drugs or things that that we have to believe are wrong. I'm not saying everybody go out and do drugs, for the record. That was not what I was saying. But you know, know what, what you I mean, mean. <laughs> as far as locking people away, <laughs> that that just because the government has force and can use it against you doesn't mean they're right. In fact, it often means the opposite, because if your ideas are good, you don't need force.
2: Yeah, I was telling my daughter about this the other day because we were having a super deep conversation on the metro when we were going into D.C., and she was asking me about government and asking me just like really thoughtful questions for a seven-year-old. Um, and, and she asked something regarding – bad laws and good laws right and it kind of goes back to the martin luther king ideal um that you know just because there are laws on the books does not mean that they are right or just like we will do our best to follow um the spirit of the laws and the constitution but like think just because something is enshrined in law does not mean that it's right
0: absolutely um, exactly
2: and, and just sort of like with these officers around the table and you think about people who have to deal with darth vader on any daily basis I mean, basically, you are just sort of completely forced into a corner of having to accommodate him uh, and accommodate his views, which, I mean, in many cases, a military guy might just say that they're wrong and they're they're crazy, um, but they have to shut up because he is the person who can just sort of put them down um, in a way that is extrajudicial ju- and outside of the way that any sort of military system would work. You can't just kill uh, people for voicing their opinion or standing up to you.
0: Right. And this is really interesting because the whole notion of a state at its very core is organized violence. It's being able to leverage force on a citizenry if they don't comply with the rules of society, rules of society, which in my view are meant to be constructive, are meant to generate peace and prosperity and retain freedoms and liberties for citizens. But we have to remember that Think of the police, think of the military. That is organized violence. That is something that holds it together. And I would imagine like in an actual anarchical state that that would be chaos, that there would be, I don't want to say necessarily a sort of natural violence, but still that we need to be cognizant of the risks of being completely unhinged, if that makes sense. Because that's what the notion of a state in a lot of textbook definitions is supposed to be organized violence.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised Swar to, to hear that from you. I, I feel like we definitely agree on that. Like that's a principle, I think that we completely see eye to eye on. Um, and, and what you, you mentioned, know. I, I yeah. think, yeah, I think, I think Brittany, Brittany can probably see this as well Is like, that sort of reminds me again of like John Locke and the state of nature yeah. and mm-hmm. the reason that we have government. I think Brittany, you can probably spell that out better than me. It's, it's, you know, it's escaping the chaos
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So in The Last Jedi, taking us to our main segment of today's show, really excited to be doing this uh, because this is something that came up after The Last Jedi came out. Uh, I thought this naturally, and then it was sort of backed up um, by a couple different op-eds, some influencers on Twitter, some things that I saw on social. But in The Last Jedi, we got a new character in Benicio Del Toro depicting... DJ. He makes a splash in The Last Jedi with his really nonchalant breakout from a Canto Bight jail and helping Finn and Rose out of a pinch. Uh, his impact on the movie was his ideas about galactic conflict. He rebuffs Finn's sort of good guy, bad guy framing of the war and identifying conflict as something that is more of a game in the, in the terms of galactic politics. So we're going to talk about DJ's character, the attitudes that define his worldview, and where they can be seen in our own world's politics. So I just wanna put it out on the floor for both of you to get us started and then I'll hop back in at a later time. Is DJ a space libertarian? Is that what you saw on your initial viewing of The Last Jedi with this character? No. Why?
1: Um, so uh, one particular scene Well I mean we're not we Don't worry about spoilers right Because obviously nope. if you haven't seen no, the Last yeah. Jedi at this point it, it. It's out the bag. Later,
0: We're completely fine don't worry So
1: you know part of this whole problem Is he, he sells them out And oh it's just business type of attitude But one thing people always forget About libertarians is that We do live by a very strict code It's just we don't like leaders right we're, We don't believe in lawlessness We don't believe in people enforcing law Which sounds contradictory but it's not, and part of that is that when you do have a voluntary exchange that involves contract law, it's mutually beneficial. So had he actually been a libertarian, if this was a you know, um, and I think it's also important to say that Ayn Rand is not a libertarian, so there's definitely you know yeah. a little bit and, of and mixture and there I think we're as well.
2: Unpack that here before we Perfect. go too much further, as well. Yeah.
1: So I think I think if he were you know the libertarian character, he would not have broken contract law. He had agreed to do something, he would have done it and been on his way. Now it can be argued that he took the the pendant as payment and then he gave it back, and so maybe he wasn't breaking contract. If we want to, you know, nitpick that, yeah. but mm. uh, yeah, I see him. Um, I do have some opinion about, but I'll let you guys finish on the whether or not he's a libertarian before
2: I dive any further. Yep. Suara, what's your opening salvo on this? I didn't really think of him necessarily as
0: a strict libertarian, as I understand it in the real political world. So I not saw a him as someone,
2: but like, did he sort of like set off right. that that sort of like this is like the libertarian type personality? Yeah. In, in the Star Wars I, I,
0: I mean, but even so, not really that, because I understand libertarianism as a sort of political ideology in our own American system. And what we have in Star Wars, we don't have that sort of partisanship. We have your resistance, we have uh, the First Order, which is basically now the Empire, now the resistance is, is the rebellion. Uh, I suppose I just saw him as someone who's neutral, someone who's just simply out for himself trying to survive and thrive and find whatever avenues he's able to to make that a reality for himself. And I suppose that as I did see takes later on, I I saw some semblances with libertarianism in that it is really that sort of live and let live attitude of, I am going to work for myself. I am going to find the best opportunities for myself, but I am not going to be, I'm not going to infringe on others' liberties. I'm not going to infringe on I'm not going to get myself caught up really in this whole battle between the resistance and the first order. I'm not going to play into the good guys, bad guys thing. So I suppose that sort of struck me as libertarian because the thing is like when he betrays Rose and Finn, he says it's just business. And he himself is about to – he was captured, was probably about to die as well. But he did what he had to do for his own self-preservation. He made a deal. Yeah. So in, in a way, like I will say, you know, it's like I it was still a betrayal, but still he told the us the audience straight up who he is, that he yeah. does not care about these sides or this war and he'll do what's best for him. And so, it, it honestly, in a way, shouldn't have been a surprise. And it's really interesting because it's like we were expecting him to be the scoundrel with a heart
2: of gold like Han Solo. But yeah, and he did a little well, head he fake there, him. you know, with like giving the pendant yeah. back. You know, we were kind of like, yeah. oh, yeah. DJ is going to be a new Han Solo. He's a nice guy. <laughs> no. And then he sort of pivots back. You know, I kind of want to go in here and say, I did leave the theater thinking, oh, we got the space libertarian finally. And hmm. I think, I think I sort of, what I did was I viewed this. Through the lens of, I think, someone who is skeptical of libertarianism. I, I think what I saw was a Hollywood depiction of a libertarian attitude, which is basically cynicism, disenchantment, and a lack of belief in anything good for the common, um, the common good. And I, I sort of, I saw that, and I think that is what Hollywood thinks of the idea set. Um, But I I think y'all are both right. Like if you really get into the merits and break it apart, I think it doesn't have much to stand on. But in terms of the way that the left and the directors might view that sort of mindset, I think that that's what DJ was because what I do see in libertarianism is in DC – and in grassroots groups, you have very idealistic, like well-read individuals who sort of have like a very strong backing for their ideas that comes from somewhere philosophical. And we're going to talk about some of that. Um, but then you also have a huge cohort in the libertarian. Um, You know, lowercase libertarian world who they basically are just people who think they're above the right versus left thing. They think they're above Democrat and Mm. Republican feuding because they they feel like they sort of see through it. And I don't want to say they took the red pill because that's now like some sort of weird (laughs) like alt right (laughs) analogy that they use for waking up in, in that context. But like there is this sort of really aloof category of lowercase libertarians who just sort of think that it's all a game and they are out for themselves they're going to take care of themselves because everything else is an engineered um you know sort of sort of trick or a game um, see i don't i feel like that's more nihilism because
1: he's got what does he doesn't care doesn't about but you doesn't
2: exist in libertarianism like i think it, it doesn't so exist it, there
1: that, and that's an interesting question, but I think the problem with libertarianism is most, or not most, I can't speak for everybody, um, but a lot of a lot of us have so much meaning and purpose, right? Whether that's ending the state or you know whatever it is we're passionate about, <laughs> there's so much meaning, right? We're, we're almost too meaningful. Where a nihilist is kind of like, who, why, why do you care? The system is rigged, yeah, yeah. which yeah. does sound kind of libertarian, but it's not like, oh, let's revolt and, and build something new. For them, it's just, who cares? I'm going to get what I can out of life. Yeah. And then right. I'm going to move on. Uh, I mean, those, those,
2: wait, 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 wait,
0: Yeah. wait, 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 Stephen, sorry. Uh, Brittany, I want to ask you, though, about something you were talking about earlier, the contract. Um, it does seem to me that there is sort of a code of morals amongst libertarians. So I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of in a lot of books, to sum it up, simplest libertarians basically believe in in two laws. And I say that in scare quotes, um, do everything you've promised to do and don't take other people's stuff. Th- those are like the primary, you know, golden rules that libertarians live by, and the reason we live by them is not because we have some some huge, you know, morality believing in that. It's because of self interest. But because of self interest, we are then encouraged to do good uh, because it comes back to us. If you violate a contract, who's going to do business with you in the future? You know, what if you run into this person later on and you need their business? They don't want to do any business with you. You've got a bad reputation, and so all of this exchange, all of this this abiding by contracts serves everyone's benefit. And so it keeps a polite and a honest society. That sounds
0: very karmic, honestly.
1: Yeah, it is. It kind of is.
2: And it is. And I think like, you know, what Brittany just mentioned is sort of like in a microcosm, like if you wanted to sort of modernize it like really quickly, like the libertarian ideal in terms of the way that business um, and society should function is basically Yelp. Like I I really sort of like I look at Yelp as sort of a a small version of everything that Brittany just laid out. Um, Peer review, personal reputation, and you do not have anything to gain in a free and open society from cheating and screwing people. Um, right.
1: No, and that's actually what the dark web does, and again, I'm not promoting the dark web, <laughs> but I'm just saying what people don't understand is it's a, it's a review system. Whatever whatever it is you're looking for, it's in, it's in no one's interest to screw anybody over or or hurt them because, again, that can be traced back to you, and then no one is going to do any business okay, with Okay, so
2: Brittany, I want you to give us, and I really need this as well, because I've only read Anthem by Ayn Rand. Um, I don't think many people in our audience probably have read any of it, but you hear Ayn Rand thrown around, I think almost always in a negative context. Um, I know you have sort of shifted along your time um, in libertarian thought on being sort of Ayn Randian, but sort of tell us if you can, as short as possible, what it means to be Ayn Randian, what those beliefs are, what is objectivism?
1: Well, it's more than that. Um, Ayn Rand is a gateway drug. And I mean that in the best possible way. There's a great book actually called It Usually Begins with Ayn Rand. And it's about how it doesn't matter. You could pick any libertarian out on the street and you ask them, what was your first exposure to these beliefs? And they'll tell you either Fountainhead, Anthem or Atlas Shrugged. It's it's how we all get in because she's such a, she. Invoke such hatred from so many different people that that is who you think of, right? That you think of that person. And in college, that's what drew me in. I was sick of this, you know, the the, the leftist agenda, so to speak. And Ayn Rand was the juxtaposition to that. Ayn Rand was the exact opposite of everything that I was hearing in my classes. And so, to, you know, it was almost like it was the same reason I listened to hardcore in high school. I liked what wasn't cool, you know, I liked that fringe, like mm-hmm. the opposite. But then you get older. And for me, um, I, I prefer Austrian economics as my brand of libertarianism. And Ayn Rand did not agree with Austrian economics on uh, a lot of a lot of ways. So for me, it was finding more like learning more economics and kind of saying, okay, but also realizing that I do think feelings matter. And Ayn Rand is very much you know not a feeler. Uh, everything is rational, but people are not rational. And so if you subscribe to that and you stop thinking that way, you're going to be very lonely. Um, and I experienced this during my my own political transformation is – can I say – can I swear? Are we swearing? We, we try swear, not right? to. Okay. Um, well, if you're being a butthead, <laughs> then nobody's going to be your friend, right? So and I, I ran as that person. She's not very nice. I don't know if you guys have heard anything. Like she used to kick people out of her inner circle, very culty um, – she's not the most empathetic character. And I think as a libertarian, if we want more people, we do have to learn to be
0: more empathetic, you
2: know, basically, I think the, the objectivist ethic was I like to rebuild morality, um, in, in a different way where it's not all just about saying like, I love you because first you have to embrace the I. I think as, as it's put with like the, the Atlas society, um, you know, like yeah. <laughs> you really have to believe in the I before you can say I love you to anybody else. And there was sort of this, this sort of spiel about, you know, I guess like the old way was that goodness said, love your brother as yourself. This was the Christian scripture. And then according to the Marxist, uh, it was from each according to his own ability to each according to his need. Um, And the result of both was sort of centuries of bloodshed, all in the name of self-sacrifice. And nobody was actually making anything better. Everybody was still just killing one another. And so I think the objectivist thought that she was coming with was like, there is no sort of respect for the self and nobody is governing off self-interest. There's like all this this effort to focus on the collective. And in the end, the collective always ends up um, being some sort of mob. Right. Like am i am I getting that vaguely right?
1: I think yeah, I think that's a that's an accurate assessment. absolutely. Yeah.
2: you know yeah.
1: And I think one of the core tenets of individualism, which you know, obviously is connected to libertarianism, is libertarianism, is that, You can't fix other people or fix something as complex as the economy Mm -hmm. or the government until you've fixed yourself. You know, that is kind of a primary tenet.
0: I think that the Star Wars character that tends to lean most towards this, and Brittany, I think you've discussed this before when you were on our show, our 4th of July show, we're talking about freedom, is Han Solo. I think think that he is someone who really sticks to his contracts, who uh, is really uh, keenly focused on self-improvement, and will let people go about their own business while he keeps away from those imperial entang- entanglements, unless it happens to be part of his contract.
1: And he cares about his friends again, like the empathetic mm. part. Like Han Solo is your your thief with a heart of gold. You know, he's not he's not going
2: to leave his friends hanging. Yeah, yeah we had a exactly. we had a past episode. I remember, like we got into a tiff. It was with guest Mike Connor, and mm-hmm. we were talking about. How Han Solo, you know, Han Solo sort of like in the libertarian world, you know, has this rap as like being sort of the poster boy for the movement that's in Star Wars. You know, he's, he's the guy with the gun in the bar. He doesn't care about your rules, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's sort of like a reclaiming from the other side of saying – well, no. He joined the rebellion. He he believed in a movement, and he cared about other people because, again, like kind of the left doesn't think that we care about other people. That's sort of like like an <laughs> like instant sort of like assumption. And so when when he got yeah. friends- hey, I'm
0: a leftist. I don't think that necessarily. No, Suara um, necessarily. Like
2: <laughs> for everything. But it, it's sort of the pre uh, predisposition, yeah, predisposition going in. Um, and when Han Solo gets friends, joins the rebellion, and then also is willing to like just give up the Millennium Falcon and give mm. it to the fleet, um, we had this debate about whether or not that is liberalism or libertarianism. And mm. I just remember I stood very firmly on the mount of saying he joined the rebellion and then he was willing to give up the millennium falcon to his friends and allies for the cause that he believed in no one said you are now in the rebellion therefore you are you know we are conscripting the millennium falcon into service and you have to give it to us or else and like that really for me is what the progressive way of like viewing the collective goes i mean he did it by choice and no one told him he had to
0: You know, I'll just say, like, as a progressive and I agree with that, I agree that it was his own choice to join this cause that he realized that while he was a strong and proud individual, he could still give himself to this cause that by nature is collectivist, that is about joining our resources together to fight against this greater evil But at the same time, I think that we see Han struggle with that a lot. I think that we see it in some and not that people are required to read this, but or no, but this is implied in The Force Awakens very heavily. That like sort of drove a wedge between him and Leia and, you know, along with uh, their son turning to the dark side, he was always struggling with Leia and his family generally being part of this collectivist system in the new Republic and his own yearning to be back out there flying across the galaxy. And actually for a while and solo. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God.
2: uh,
0: Brittany, there's a really good book. If you haven't read it, I always recommend it. Bloodline by Claudia Gray. A slight spoiler for the book, but it's shown that Han and Leia have a very, um, uh, like great system of marriage where he's often out uh, elsewhere out in the galaxy while she's on Coruscant and he's swoop racing. He's living the dream, and that's sort of his. And I think in a way you could interpret that as his more libertarian tendencies, while Leia is going along with her more. With, the, the, with hers that are more uh, steeped in liberalism. So I think that there is a struggle there.
1: See, and I never... One thing that I... And maybe I'm wrong on this. I never felt like he fully joined That's the fair. rebellion. Yeah. He was there. He was on their side, but he never... He knew it was right, but he still never had an investment on either side. You know, obviously that was the side he was chosen, but he was never out there like everybody else. He was never talking about the force. He was never... He was never like team, team guy.
2: I think we we just saw like a window of his service, but he was a general. Um, You know, he was, he was ranked. Um, So he, he was an official part of the structure. Um, (laughs) But we really only, you know, get these small glimpses in the movies and, and, and kind of on all those glimpses, it sort of seems like he's just sort of there to be there. Um, But I think he was pretty formally involved in a certain point and you probably could say it had a whole lot to do with love interest, but. It did. (laughs) <laughs>
1: that's what i was just gonna say i'm like you'll no, do no, anything no, you know no, but, seriously,
0: no, but seriously you read some of the star wars comics in the main series in the han solo five-part uh mini series and you can tell like he's doing a lot of this for leia like yeah. very deeply so like he was head over heels in love with her basically after a new hope and it's and i don't think like he was necessarily doing it in like a sort of creepy way like oh look at everything i'm doing for you but actually kind of in a really sincere
2: and Honestly, really yeah. heartfelt touching. That, yeah, he loved her. her. Love yeah. her. Yeah. yeah, that's what you see erupting in Empire Strikes Back on Hoth exactly. like that. That's sort of like just like like passive like rage <laughs> of like, I'm here. Can't you tell? I adore you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but kind of going back to DJ here. So <laughs> yeah. let's kind of look at some of DJ's kind of defining lines and moments in the movie. I think for me, one of his quotes that really stood out was when he said, um, it's all a machine man live free don't enlist mm-hmm. uh, he says <laughs> this to Finn I feel like it could be the slogan of Reason Magazine if they did away with free <laughs> minds free markets like live f-
1: and he kind of looks like Nick so it's kind of a whole <laughs> he thing he puts <laughs> his feet
2: up on the table he has boots um, yeah I mean like <laughs> I, I sort of saw the live free don't enlist line as something just distinctly libertarian kind of of the reason school of thought antiwar.com. um um, you know, I, I really do mean what I say in the beginning. where like, I really think that lowercase L libertarianism is something that is out there for just people who reject the system as it is given to us. And I think that that leads to some really fringe and very dark elements that we can talk about some other time. Um, there is a, a really seedy underbelly of that too. But like, I spend so much of my time around the intellectual core of the libertarian movement that it's sometimes easy to forget that when you go to a conference, you sort of just run into the guy who's still wearing like a Avenged Sevenfold t-shirts and a fedora. And he's like a libertarian because <laughs> he's just like screw Republicans and screw Democrats. Everything's rigged and nothing is real. Like that to me is also a, a corner of libertarianism that we have to deal with and reckon with. And I do feel like DJ, speaks to that um he just thinks that it's all a game and cannot see that there is clearly a side that is is very evil um, and whether or not the rebellion is getting weapons from the same dealer as the or as the first order he sort of like views that as a disqualifier you know like y'all are all the same and and they're not the same they're just yeah. not
1: See, I thought that line in particular was more a political jab of reality and not necessarily in Star Wars because, you know, that's what we do <laughs> as a country. We yeah. sell weapons to all sides. So for me, that kind of stood out as kind of a, ooh, he's dropping truth bombs about what foreign policy is yeah, really about.
0: And That, in a way, can be viewed as a libertarian line of thought, that we are involved in so many unnecessary wars worldwide, either directly involved or by proxy. But at the same time, does that make DJ himself overall a libertarian and... I think that he definitely has elements of it, but based on this conversation and based on my own multiple viewings of the film, I didn't really see that. I thought maybe he could be almost more like in his own personal ideology, an anarchist or someone who just doesn't really care about politics and just doesn't like his name says, just doesn't just doesn't want to get involved. So I, I think it's very, in a way it's a bit hard to pin a political ideology on him, but I could see elements of libertarianism, but as we discussed earlier, the character that really seems to embody this is Han Solo.
1: And that's where I see, especially when you, yes. when you juxtapose him with, with Han Solo, that he's just a pure – he's a nihilist. He's, hes He doesn't care about anything because he doesn't mm-hmm. see a point in anything. He sees hypocrisy on both sides, which – Clearly, there's a good side and a bad side, but we've seen the good side even struggle with with moral dilemmas on you know doing the right thing. And so I think he kind of he kind of portrays that. He kind of shows like, no, there is no good side in a lot of things. It is more complex than we think it is. You know, who cares what happens?
0: We're (laughs) all going to die. Complex and nuanced, and maybe we shouldn't all be so absolutist in our specific lines of thought,
2: Brittany. You know, I, I, I listened to a, a friend of the show and, and kind of wanted to ask, like, how is DJ not um, representative of, of, of objectivism? Like, how is he not channeling selfishness and sort of self preservation, which I think someone from objectivism would say is rational self interest? It's not selfishness. Could you sort of qualify the difference there and why perception of um, objectivism is, is deemed selfishness.
1: Yeah. And I, so I might be repetitive. So forgive me. I, I think it comes down to contract law and it sounds like such a small minute point or moot point, excuse me. But that is, that to me is the the number one thing that I said, oh no, he's not an objectivist because an objectivist would do what they said they were going to do. However, <laughs> having said that, you also have to ask, yeah. okay, he did do what he was supposed to do. He got he got them out of there, or whatever the main he, you know, he hacked into the system. He did do that's what true, he said yeah. he was gonna do, and then yeah. he bailed. So at, at the same time, Absolutely. he did kind of fulfill his contract. And so he was acting yeah. out of self interest I, I think
2: that's a really interesting point that you have highlighted. And I didn't think of it going into this episode. He did do exactly what he said, and then they got busted. Yep. Um, and you know, what, what is he going to do? Like get on his knees and get executed for a cause he doesn't believe in. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me either. Like, why is he a bad person for taking the deal? And he, you know, I, I really believe him when he says like, you know, it's not personal, it's just business. And I, and he just turns around and he says like, you guys are going to blow them up today. They're going to blow you up tomorrow. It just goes on and on. And Finn says, you're wrong. And then I love what he says. He sort of thinks about it for a second. And then he says, maybe. Yeah, and,
0: but, um, but, but, the other th- but the other thing is, <laughs> this actually relates to another storyline in The Last Jedi with Luke. Luke has taken himself out of the fight because he feels that it's been cyclical and so destructive for too many decades. And he feels like he just doesn't want to really be a part of that anymore. DJ, what he says, they blow you up today. Uh, you'll blow them up tomorrow. That falls in line with that.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's sort of... No, go ahead, Bernie. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, that was all no, I had. I, <laughs> just I commenting. That that a sort point.
2: of like when you talk about like the jaded libertarian, I think that that's sort of what they see. Like they just sort of see a system that rolls on and on and they're not invested in it at all. Um, one side is going to knock each other down one day, then the other side's going to get back up and knock them down. And all the while government grows, wars continue, and sort of the status quo always remains the same. And I, I think you can speak to that as well, Brittany, like not much really changes in terms of the trajectory of this country when it comes to like the big overarching stuff. Um, government still tracks in the same direction and people who want smaller government are never getting what they want. Um, they usually will take sort of like small subjective wins along the way, but they've never gotten the big wish.
1: Yeah, and I think you know we know from the what was it the comic or the graphic novel that was released that gave a little bit of his backstory, but but we don't really know everything about him. But maybe he was into he did fight for a side and he got burnt. You know, I know a lot of libertarians that invested a lot of time into let's say the Ron Paul campaign, and then when that didn't work out, the dream is we're completely dead. devastated. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking. The dream is dead, and I'm one of them. And then it was kind of like, what's any of this for anyway? Like burn it all down. <laughs> Um, and for me, I found solace. And like I said, things like like cryptocurrency or I was like, oh, the world is becoming more decentralized that, you know, it's just not happening in the way we're seeing it. But one interesting thing that I think really stands out in determining what DJ believes is that he does seem to be envious of people who do yeah. have meaning. And I think right. that's why he gives the pendant back. Because I think he sees like, look, they, you know, he's the anti-hero. He's the juxtaposition to the heroes, but he sees them. He sees that they care for each other. There is, there's more to life, right? They have something to live for because they're fighting together. And I think that's why he gives it back. He's a nihilist. I I had read one
2: thing the other day saying that Ayn Rand came up with sort of her school of thought to fight nihilism and that sort of flies in the face of everything I kind of thought about her personally. What does that come from? How does her view um, diminish nihilism?
1: Honestly, that's something that I don't know that I can even answer because I do kind of see her yeah. a little bit as a nihilist. That's, that's probably a that's little bit unfair respect, just because right? anyone yeah. who believes in the market mm-hmm. also believes in value creation. And that to me is the, the antithesis of nihilism. Because you care about something, you want to create value, you want to put something forth into the world. And and, and actually, no, here's what I would say to that. That yeah. is what she takes pride in, hard work. Uh, nihilist wouldn't do that. nihilist wouldn't care. They'd work to pay the bills until they died. That would be the only you know, reason. But, but Randians take pride in what they do and how they are creating right. that value. And I think that's the main difference.
2: Yeah. Well, y'all, any parting thoughts on libertarianism, DJ, and The Last Jedi?
0: I just want to extend a lot of gratitude to Brittany for coming and really giving us the rundown on what the real core fundamentals of libertarianism, a term that often gets thrown around a lot in a lot of uh, political articles and political talk, what it's really about and what y'all really genuinely believe in. And as a... Progressive liberal, you know, who definitely is not a libertarian. But I honestly really value hearing that and understanding more of that point of view. So, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, thank you, and thank you. I was telling Stephen, I'm always, I always feel like I get challenged a little bit uh, when I come on here and discuss things with you, and I like that because I do tend to <laughs> live in an echo chamber,
2: chamber and you so out, it's good you for out me. me. libertied me today, <laughs> <laughs> Steven, You don't care about freedom. That's what- uh, I'm in, I'm in here thinking DJ is libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, that about does it for our conversation on DJ and Ayn Randian philosophy showing up in Star Wars. Um, We're going to get to our Bantha fodder segment, our legendary opportunity to vent and share something that's been on our minds for the past day or week or month. Uh, But first, we're going to read some reviews real quick from listeners of the show. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to leave your thoughts um, for us that we can actually see what we can do better going forward and what we've been doing well. So far. So, real quick from My Omi 2011, The Politics of Star Wars. This show has become one of my new favorite Star Wars podcasts. Been binging on past episodes for a few weeks. Great conversations on a variety of topics and the politics. Of Star Wars. Great show, Steven and Suara. Thank you, Mayomi2011. Um, next up from Rose Arj, two of my favorite things: Star Wars and politics. Suara and Steven are a great example of civility and bipartisan compromise and discussion of these topics, um, especially controversial ones. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, Suara, I got to say, like, I love it when we do the controversial topics. Like, I feel like that's when we are at our best.
0: You know, they can be hard, but. You know, something something that's (laughs) rewarding is never easy.
2: Yeah, you know, I just I think back to some of like the really big third rail episodes that we've done. They took a lot of prep, one of them like even tears, but it was so good. And I feel like the response to those episodes are always great. So, y'all, if you ever have ideas about topics that we can do on the show and things that we can wade into and discuss that maybe you don't think are getting a proper and full discussion in Star Wars fandom, in politics, whatever, uh, shoot us an email at BeltwayBanthas at gmail.com. We would love to hear it. And now... Uh, we're going to thank some of our patrons and supporters of the show before we get to Beltway Bantha's Bantha fodder segment. Um, Isaiah Leslie, Cheston Lee, Andy Seener, Lynn Walker, Connie Shee, Brad Tracy, Justin Day, Jessica Shitara, Sarah Smith, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sean Mahan, Nick Deco, Sarah Strain, and BJ Smith. Thank you for supporting the show on Patreon. Um, You can get involved with patreon.com and support our show um, for however much you want to give per month to help us with some of our overhead costs. It makes a huge difference. And there are lots of really fun perks for people who do this as well. Thank you again to all of our patrons for getting involved on that level. And that brings us to our Bantha fodder segment. So excited. I always look forward to this every other week and we get the chance to share something that's been on our minds. I um, want to kick it over to both of you to get us started. Swara? why don't you lead us off? What's on your mind, brother?
0: The past couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about feelings. You know, sometimes people will say that feeling Feelings don't matter or facts don't care about your feelings. But you know what? I call bull on that, frankly. Feelings do matter. Feelings matter in politics. Feelings matter in how we talk to each other. Feelings matter just generally generally. Because without our feelings, how could we really make progress or be constructive in the things that we want to pursue and how we want to make a better society for each other? How, for example, feelings matter when discussing representation and inclusion matters on the left? How feelings matter when we're talking to people in middle America who may be voting conservative because of specific cultural values? And that is something we need to understand, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. And I may not agree with them, but I still want to understand. I still want to empathize and see how I can conceptualize the political world and in general society, better feelings and empathy matter with our friends. They, it matters how we can communicate with each other and How we can really fully understand what's going through our minds or our hearts during a tough time or why we feel a specific way about a certain issue that our other friend might not. Feelings matter. I saw something today that really made me mad, like really mad. Feelings matter in how we talk to people we revere, to celebrities even, I saw a, I'm not going to name any names, but I saw a journalist or a blogger, podcaster, maybe I don't necessarily know, tweet at Mark Hamill. After Mark Hamill had said that he couldn't enjoy Star Wars as much anymore because of Carrie Fisher's passing, for his friend of 40 years passing, he just couldn't really enjoy these films as much anymore. He, this person quoted, like quoted Mark when he was tweeting at him and said, don't you understand that it's vanity if you're going to cling to the past? I was blown away. This person had basically made fun of Mark Hamill's grief or belittled it to such an extreme degree for the sake of trying to say that, hey, these movies are awesome. Don't you like them? I love The Force Awakens, I love The Last Jedi, but to place my love of them over consideration of a real human being's deep grief, I and many others looking at this were completely blown away. And that's what happens when you stop caring about feelings, when you start caring more about, frankly, these trinkets of film and TV and games or whatever, over the fact that there is someone else at the other end of your tweet. So my fodder is feelings matter in almost every aspect of our lives. Don't belittle them. Please think for a second before you send a message or before you say something, be empathetic lest we lose that. Thank you very much. So Brittany, after my... Uh, go ahead. Yes, please. I was yeah. going to
1: say I don't know how I can follow this. <laughs> well, I had two in mind, and please, one was more please. funny, ranting about how terrible people go on airplanes are. It. But after you were, okay, I'll go there if we want to go there. Here's right. what I've been: I travel a lot, and one thing that really gets me is uh, people who break unspoken rules. And I know as an anarchist, is hilarious right now that I'm saying that. That's what makes me mad. But uh, above all, when you deboard a plane. You should deboard an order, you know, when like people get up and they start getting their stuff. And I've noticed everybody is trying to race each other off the airplanes. And I don't understand this. And that's been a frustration for me lately. So my fodder, I guess, would be, hey, guys, we're trying to run a society here. Be respectful on airplanes. Wait your turn to leave the ex- or <laughs> exit or exit the airplane. That's it's all I the got. It's state of
2: nature in <laughs> the airport. <laughs>
1: That and don't wear flip flops on planes. Offensive. It's offensive Called to mankind. Out by That's Brittany
2: all. Hunter. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to keep it light this week as well. Um, I'm done with the IRS, y'all. I don't think that they have a mandate to govern, I don't think that they have a mandate collect money. I'm not one of those taxation <laughs> is theft people, but I do believe it is theft if you're going to hound people for sort of like collections on something that they still owe and then you don't even give them the tools and the means necessary to actually pay you. Like, all right, so I messed up my taxes two years ago. I have a little bit that I have to to recover in terms of payments for that cuz I misfiled something. That's fine. Got it. But how am I supposed to do that if I can't even go on the website, log into my account from Google Chrome, and then deal with this issue? So what I dealt with today, and this is, this is really on top of the pile of drama that I've gone through with them for the past couple of months, but today's drama was, first, cannot get on the website. I get on Google Chrome. I go to irs.gov, and I need to log into the online account because I need to take a look at one of my returns from the past year. Well... My credentials aren't working. My password fails. My username, not even recognized. And then I try again and again and again because, you know, obviously I I know my credentials. I remember what they are. I just just created them the other week and it doesn't work. And so then I get locked out of the account. Then I call the customer service line. I wait for two hours and then I get someone on the phone and they say, oh, did you try Internet Explorer? What? (laughs) What? What? Did I try Internet Explorer? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm trying to get online and deal with this issue that you say I have to deal with. And you want me to use Internet Explorer? (laughs) And Google Chrome apparently does not function well with the IRS website. And if you try to log in, then it will give you a false error message. The page will error out regardless of it being correct. But apparently on Internet Explorer, it will work properly. And so... Because I tried multiple times, it locked me out for 72 hours. And then be, and then because I tried more times after that, it oh, actually ups the ante <laughs> to two months. And they cannot even overturn that manually from the IRS. So my account is locked for two months. So I just can't deal with the issue. Oh, I just can't no. deal with it. And they can't even fix it internally. Any customer service line you call to deal with this issue, they're like, oh, we understand. Yeah, let me unlock your account for you but not if you are the federal government. I'm sorry. I'm going with Ted Cruz on this one. Abolish the IRS. They don't have any business collecting money. They are a mess. That's my band of (laughs) fun. (laughs) And sorry. (laughs) I am now anointed and brought into the church of true libertarianism. (laughs) If I want to abolish the IRS, next I'm coming after the Fed it is happening (laughs) y'all it is happening folks that brings us to the end of episode 54 of Beltway Banthas this has been an awesome discussion on libertarianism DJ Ayn Rand and everything else in that category we had a guest Brittany Hunter on Brittany thank you so much for coming on this was just always delightful you're always fun you're always prepared and you are the best thanks again thank you and where oh by the way where can people find you on Twitter because like there's always fun things to see there
1: There is. So it is Brit underscore the underscore wit. So Brit the wit at Brit the wit. Um, Yeah. And you can follow me on Facebook as well at Brittany Hunter.
2: You can find me on Twitter at Steven underscore Kent 8-9. That's Steven with a PH underscore Kent 8-9. And you can follow Beltway Banthas at Beltway Banthas. And we're on Facebook as well. We look forward to hearing from you. Swara brother, where can they find you?
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Suara Saleh 1. That's S-W-A-R-A-S-A-L-I-H 1. As Steven said, you can follow Beltway Banthas on Facebook and Twitter, just at Beltway Banthas. You can also follow me on Instagram at Swarto. That's S-W-A-R-T-O. And you can also follow find my blogs on two websites one is the but why though blog which is for uh the but why though podcast which is a podcast our friends kate matt and adrian do it's really fantastic you should check it out and i also blog for porgology a website in which we talk about all the creatures ecosystems and just anything nature related in the galaxy far far away so you can check me out there too
2: Folks, do it. He posts really great pictures of his food on Instagram, so you really <laughs> should check that out. Thank you. Uh, this has been Episode 54 of Beltway Banthas. We'll be back next week with more. Until then, may the Force be with you.
0: Always.